Well, J-E-T-S might stand for stink, 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 <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're going to play a football game against the Colts, and a winner and a loser will happen. And we're going to talk about it on today's Kevin's Corner. Obviously, that will be kind of the back half. Uh, lots of Twitter questions mm-hmm. that we're sending on Monday that I want to get to. Chris Presley, Kevin Bowen back in studio. Uh, obviously, injuries, big part of week three here in the NFL, and especially for the Colts, so we will hit on that. Um, what else am I missing, man? Yeah, I mean, the injuries are glaring. I mean, when you have Schefter and Rappaport and John Clayton and all these guys saying, I've never seen anything like this. I know. And a lot of big names, too. Yeah. Um, it sucks, man. I, I hate, I hate talking about injuries. I know we always say it's a league of attrition mm-hmm. and that's kind of what the NFL is, but boy, I, I don't remember a week like what we've just seen. And obviously the Colts, you know, I had a buddy of mine text me earlier this week and he was like you find it ironic that the Colts have had three seemingly season-ending injuries and those were the three positions that they drafted the first three picks back in April yeah you've had Paris Campbell you took a wide out you know you had Marlon Mack you took a running back and then Willie Cooker with the safety as well and it is kind of funny uh I don't know if funny is the right word but ironic coincidental whatever you want to call it Um, and last year you know Chris Ballard was very um, apologetic or just disappointed in himself that he didn't feel like he gave this coaching staff enough depth. And so now it's like, holy, you know, you're here at week three and depth in some some big areas, although you've avoided O-line and D-line, which is good so far. Uh, But still, more than ever in this 2020, you know, we're going to see kind of a survival uh, mode for really every NFL team and, and in a small way, the well, not even a small way, the Colts and Jets are probably two of the teams that are atop that list. How about the news today about Tyrod Taylor? Oh, my God. punctured lung. You know, I had a friend of mine who uh, bet on, um, shout out to Holton Witchker moving to Atlanta, uh, he bet on Justin Herbert to win NFL Rookie of the Year, and I'm like, did you pay off, you know, did you pay <laughs> off the Chargers team doctor? I mean, that is like, wow. Yeah. That is um, an accidental puncturing of the lung. I was listening to that Sunday on the way up to, like I said, my mother's birthday. We had family dinner, and the the announcers were like, well, Terod Taylor was out here, but he went back in. Maybe it's nerves, but this guy shouldn't have nerves. I don't know yeah. what it is. Man, that and then Rocky scene and that thing, you know, it's just so yeah. we You rarely see, you know, guys get to the stadium, and, and neither of them got hurt in warm-ups. not like mm-hmm. they went out on the field and pulled something or something like that, so... Wow, wild. I mean, if I had the Chargers, I know it's probably not the right thing to do. I'd just hand it to Herbert and move on. But, uh, yeah, wild, 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 wild. Got to love the NFL. Never never a shortage of entertainment. Well, we heard, obviously, the Achilles tear for Hooker. The Campbell one's kind of up in the air. doesn't sound good, but they didn't necessarily rule him out. But who's going to fill that void? We talked about how dynamic of a player he is and just how unique he is. So, so who slides in there? Yeah, you know, I think this is the most uh, – most critical loss of the three when you talk about Mac, Hooker, and Campbell. And I know I got some pushback on that. You know, people are like, wait, wait, the thousand yard rusher? Wait, wait, wait. You know, the guy that started for four years for this team. But with Campbell, you know, Chris, you just hit it there. He is the most unique weapon on this offense. He stands out really more than anybody in just how his skill set is different than other guys. Is he the best player on this offense? No. But what I talked about all offseason long is he can push the ceiling for this unit higher than really anybody else. And look at week one. Mm-hmm. 
plays the most snaps of any wideout, targeted the most of any wideout. Uh, I mean, even look at Sunday. You run it, you know, a, a billion times, Jonathan Taylor, on that first drive, but you sprinkled in the jet sweep to Paris Campbell because he's a guy that can strike fear in a defense laterally pre-snap, and that can complement, you know, just the straight-ahead run game so well. So um, we've talked about yards after catch. We, we've I've tried to stress with Campbell, it's such a low-risk touch with high potential mm-hmm. in his play. The jet sweep, the little screen, a little dump pass, he can offer you so much there. And I know a lot of people have said, well, you know, just throw Hilton into the slot, throw Hines into the slot. It, it's just a lot easier said than done. It's To me, it's a lot easier to say, here you go, Jonathan Taylor, go be a running back like Marlon Mack was. That, to me, is not much of a drop-off. Now, again, where you're hurt is depth. You are hurt in these areas mm-hmm. with losing Mack, Hooker, and Campbell. But, or Hooker, I should say. But where you really lose Campbell, I think, is mostly from a game plan, dynamic playmaker standpoint, and that I, you, you you trust Frank Reich to scheme it up a bit, but still, man, it's just... um. It's just a big loss, mm-hmm. really big loss for a guy that I think um, separates himself really from a lot of the wideouts. You know, people have talked about, okay, and, and Frank rattled off many names, Pascal, Fountain, Hines, Hilton, all those names. I guess when you start with Hilton, most consistent slot producer of anybody. I mean, the deep ball yeah. that he dropped on Sunday mm-hmm. was out of the slot. So, like, he can line up in the slot – but now what you're doing is, okay, now you're taking him away from being an outside guy. And, yes, you have Michael Pittman, you have Zach Paschal, but they haven't proven themselves, you know, on an NFL stage like T.Y. Hilton has as an outside wideout. Um, so you have that factor. You know, when you throw Hines in there, he's got history, certainly, and was a college wideout, but not every game's going to be like Sunday where Jonathan Taylor's toting it for 25 times a game, 26 Correct. times a game. You still need Hines to be a running back, and catch balls out of the backfield and do other stuff in there as well. Uh, we saw Marcus Johnson, you know, get signed to the practice squad. You know, maybe he's healthy now and he gets bumped up later in the week. Um, it's just a uh, – boy, Hilton's got to show up. I, I think that's the biggest thing with this wideout group is you need T.Y. Hilton to become an unquestioned Pro Bowl wideout for you this season because, you know, Pascal, really nice player. Uh, Michael Pittman, I think, is showing flashes, but it, it would be naive for us to expect them to take on this heavy yeah. weekend, week out burden of five catch, eighty yard guy sort of output. That just would be ludicrous to 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 expect that from either of those two. And again, not every week you're going to face a weak defensive line like Minnesota's and be able to just say ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound. Like, that's not going to be the blueprint every week. You're going to have to play complementary football, and you're going to have to find, um, you know, skill guys that can just make a drive, all of a sudden be three for 75 and get into the end zone, and not these, again, very grinding drives. I know we talk about Campbell a lot, too, of, you know, he's able to, whatever, you know, take, again, these low-risk touches and turn them into high-big plays. I also feel like he creates separation in such short areas of the field. I think of third down, and I think of red zone. Yep, yep. And that's what's hurting this team right now. So you're taking away a a weapon there for you. 
Um, so this is a this is a massive loss. Uh, PCL, MCL, and I'm just talking here in 2020, Chris. I'm not even projecting forward. We kind of talked about that on Monday's pod. But uh, I think it'll be a by-committee approach. I think it'll be some Hines. I think it'll be some Hilton. Those are the two guys I'd look to first. Uh, but still, I don't think it's all of a sudden Marlon Mack gets hurt. Here you go, Jonathan Taylor. Here's, here's 26 carries. Or even on Sunday, Malik Hooker gets hurt, and Julian Blackman's playing more than half the defensive snaps. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even think it's that seamless. I think this is a much more of a putting pieces of the puzzle together, personnel-wise, and then also schematically. Like Frank Reich, more has got to be out of you now to try and dial up some of the, I mean, just innate ability that Paris Campbell brings to the field. Does the by-committee approach then translate over to the defensive side of the ball and how we are going to replace Hooker, or is Blackman, do you think he's solidified in that starting role? You know, I my gut kind of thinks it'll be Blackman. I, I know it's I mean it's quite the jump. Julian Blackman, and we're taping this just before um the injury report comes out on Wednesday. I mean, he didn't even participate fully in any practice yeah. last week, you know, and he played over half the defensive snaps. So part of me's like, you know, Hooker routinely played I don't think he did in week one now that I think about it, but he was he routinely played hundred percent of the snaps last season. So I'm not sure if Blackman, you just throw that on him right away. But, I mean, again, played over 50% last week. You know, I think he could handle 70 80%. And I just look at it as you, one, the future is now. You know, Julian Blackman, Kari Willis, we talked about them 2021 week one. Yep. It's 2020 week three. And wh- where I guess you miss Hooker, and I know I said earlier, that I think Campbell's the biggest loss of the three. I don't want people to run with that and say, I'm not acting like Hooker is a loss or I'm not acting like Marlon Mack is a loss. They are all big losses. Where I think you hurt with Hooker is this, Chris. There's no skill set like him of just this rangy center field, don't allow big plays. Like Odom isn't really like that. Tavon Wilson's not really like that. And Julian Blackman isn't really like that. They can do other things, Mm -hmm. and Blackman offers – I think some other stuff that Hooker doesn't offer. But still, when we're talking deep center field, this defense cannot give up big plays. Hooker largely achieves that for you and offers you that. So now that is missing. And I think I touched on this a little bit on Monday. But now you get into sub packages and you get into the creativity you can have in the secondary. And now are you a little bit more relegated into what you can do? A little bit more of... Shit, man! If we had Hooker back there, we could put Blackman in the slot here, and he could match up against, right. you know, whatever Travis Kelsey. If you're playing the Chiefs in the playoffs, or you know, something like that. I think that's where it really stings. Is just how uh, different, multiple, whatever you want to say, you can be defensively. Um, you know, I go back to the ACL with Hooker in 2017. He tore that in October of that rookie season, came back, and by week two of that next season, he was playing 100% of the snaps. So I'm trying to, like, project that to Blackman. Yeah. Okay, Blackman toured in December. That's two months. It's like a month and a half later, I guess, if you look at the calendar. You know, by week three, could he be playing? You know, in a way, it's kind of his rookie season. I mean, I guess Hooker was able to get seven games in as a rookie, but still, he was kind of a pseudo-rookie into that second year. So I try and project that a little bit. Um, I don't know. It, it's uh, 
you know, w- what they liked about Blackman coming out was his three-down ability, his versatility, and that he found the football. When I watched him Sunday went back and watched the tape, you just see an instinctual aspect yep. to his game that is hard to teach. Man, you really like that. You really, really like that. Obviously, he got his hands on the football mm-hmm. on Sunday. But he's a guy, and I think Kari Willis brings this a little bit too, of you just trust him. There is a trust factor that you really like. And he's played corner. He's played safety. He's seen you know the game from multiple different areas on that defense. Right. And so you definitely like that as well. So... Um, you know, matchup driven league. It, it, here you go. It, it's it's that's what you're gonna miss. It's the versatility on game days are so important, and the matchups are so important. I think that's where you'll you'll miss Hooker because now it might restrict again Blackman to being more of that free safety type of guy. But I think you throw it on his plate and see what happens. George Odom, Tavon Wilson, two guys that certainly have experience in this league. Wilson started 14 games for the Lions last year. Um. They brought up Ibrahim Campbell. We talked about him on Monday from the mm-hmm. practice squad. He's played in the NFL. So there is some depth there. It's not like crystal clear slam dunk depth, but it's better depth there than I think you have at some other spots on this team. So I say throw it on Blackman and, you know, see what happens, man. You hope he kind of projects to be a safety version of Kenny Moore, just yeah. kind of all over the place. Yeah, and, you know, I think in an ideal world, you know, you would move Blackman around a little bit more than you moved Hooker. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know you tried with Hooker closer to the line of scrimmage and, and things like that. And, you know, who knows? Maybe eventually you'll be able to get there. We haven't really seen the Colts go full dime package yet this season. You know, the six DBs, four defensive linemen, and just Leonard. It's kind of, I felt like Okariki has always been on the field there. They haven't gone full. And do you trust? Enough DBs. You know, I guess that is something I'm curious about. Because, again, does it impact you playing the Jets? No. You know, hell no. Um, <laughs> but, you know, when you're facing a Kansas City or you're facing a Green Bay like you do in November, you know, your ability to go deeper into that nickel-dime group, I think, will be something that is just a fair question to be asked. Yeah. So. Man, we, we we talked about the start of the year. You're going to have to count on your rookies. I, I never thought you'd be counting on Julian Blackman this much this early. But if I'm Frank Reich, you know, I kind of throw that on his plate. I I don't know. Maybe you sprinkle in Odom and, 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 and Wilson a little bit more. But, you know, he was on a pitch count, they said, to a degree on Sunday, Blackman. So maybe it won't be 100% you know, right now. But I still think he needs to play the majority of snaps. For right to along um, starting alongside Kari Willis. Cool. All right. Well, like you said, we have a lot of Twitter questions. We want to jump on into those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to start with Tanner. Tanner wants to know: Do you expect to see the Colts try and stretch down the field with Pittman anytime soon? Feels like what he saw from him against Minnesota. But do you think he deserves even more shots down the field, or do you think he will be used as more of a possession guy? You know, I think more as a possession guy. That's that's kind of my first thought there. Uh, you know, they, they like the X wide out role. I mean, think about his catches so far in the league. It's kind of been, you know, slants, uh, just more of, you know, you create the 6-4 frame and I'm mm-hmm. going to throw it to you. Um, having said that, I think you need to stretch the field. I mean, that is like an absolute must. Um you know, maybe some jump balls in the red zone. You know, just try to spark a little bit there as well. And Philip Rivers was asked a question today about T.Y. Hilton and the drops. And Rivers, 
you know, was like, he kind of went off on a, on a tangent and he's like, don't take this out of context. But he said, you know, what really hurts a quarterback is like, when I can't trust you where you're going to be, if you run the wrong route, like drops are drops. But if you're in the right place and I know the ball's either going to go to you or it's going to be, you know, potentially dropped, I feel better about that. But if I can't trust you that you're going to be where you're supposed to be, all of a sudden I'm throwing a ball That's fair. maybe to the other team. And I feel like we've had that a couple times with Pittman. Of just a couple of miscommunication things with him. Um, again, that's me saying that. But still, I, I he had more of that at USC where he kind of jumped balls some people. So I don't think it'll be a huge, huge part of this game plan, whatever you want to call it. But with losing Campbell and you're trying to get a little bit more vertical, and especially if you're going to start to show your hand a little bit and say, hey, when Pittman and Pascal on the field, they're going to block a lot, that's a perfect time to say, whoop. You know, play action, mm-hmm. over the top, try and hit a big play. This one comes from Zach. Is no one else worried about this offense? The red zone struggles mixed in with the we need to keep Rivers out of the negative game scripts late is making him nervous. This is the NFL. If you can't score TDs, you're going to be negative game scripts. Is it possible that the lack of tight end health is contributing or is Reich's favorite misdirection seems to be the is he blocking or running a route? You know, Zach, I, I trust Frank Reich with red zone and third down. You know, it's always been a staple of his offenses that have done really well, and uh, I'm not going to freak out too much about you know two games. Where I do have some concern, though, is you worry about the skill group and some of these injuries, and Zach brings up the tight end position. You know, we always hear the phrase, Chris, players not plays when you kind of get closer to the red zone, end zone, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um so that's where I'm kind of a little bit concerned. But again, I, I like Frank Reich's creative mind. I think he'll be able to kind of, you know, somewhat over. Is it going to be a top five red zone team or a top 10? You know, may, maybe not, but it's got to be better than 31st in the NFL, I think is where you're at right now. Uh, also, you know, the, the, they've had a couple penalties in the red zone as well, which, you know, that's just, that just absolutely kills you yeah. because the, the field's already shrunk. And now, you know, instead of really stretching it, you can't. And if you get behind the chains at all, that's something I know Frank has not been pleased with of you got to stay in phase much more in the red zone. So, um, you know, no one else worried about the offense. Uh, that, to me, involves the entire field. Uh, you know, I'm not – I mean, we'll get into some of these Rivers numbers. Philip Rivers has had some very impressive numbers early in the season. We we have not talked about it enough, and, and we will today. And, you know, the O-line, okay, decent job running the football. You know, not great yards per carry, but not bad. And – Considering the skill group that you've missed so far, I think you're moving it pretty well. So I'm not worried about the offense. Again, that's all-encompassing. Red zone, third down, you can definitely be better. But Frank Reich's history and Phillip Rivers' history as well, I think would indicate that they will be better. All right, we got a Moali Cox question. Again, we have a, a lot of Moali Cox questions on this edition of the no podcast. shocker there. Colts fan for life. With Moali Cox and Antonio Gates having similar stature and basketball backgrounds, not saying Mo is quite Gates, but do you see the level of chemistry building with Rivers? If not, who do you see in that primary role for the receivers? Well, we know Philip loves the big targets, mm-hmm. and Moali is probably bigger than Antonio Gates, honestly. Um, you know, first, Frank Reich was asked, I think, a very deserved question today about just you know the obvious basketball background when you compare Gates to to Allie Cox, or excuse me, Allie Cox to Gates in any way. And, and Reich really downplayed it of the body types are different. The sort of routes that they run are different. 
Uh, just different players, and then obviously through the caveat of, okay, if we're comparing a Hall of Famer to a guy that has a one notable game right. in the NFL, so let's obviously pump the brakes there. But I think just you know just because they play the same position and they're former college basketball players doesn't really mean they're the same athlete playing tight end. You know, Allie Cox, I think, is a little longer. Um, you know, Gates a stouter, would you call him that? I don't know, maybe a little stout. I mean, he's yeah. not like... He's not Jimmy Graham, Tony Gonzalez build. You know, I think he's a little shorter, a little wider. He's a little wider. But obviously still extremely effective. Uh, but, you know, it, I, I think it's a fair question of, you know, who do you see developing that chemistry with Rivers? Rivers has really spread the ball around a lot. I mean, he's trusting Michael Pittman mm-hmm. in some big situations while still having some mis- miscommunication issues. So I don't think he shot away from anybody. I, I am eager to watch when Trey Burton gets back. What does that look like? Uh, because I do think those two built a nice chemistry during camp. Yeah. This question comes from Sim. Are you concerned at all by Michael Pittman's social media activity during camp and on the eve of big games like we had against the Vikings? This is considering he didn't have a good camp. Are they a distraction? Boy, am I uh, am I missing something? I don't. Uh, I I know Michael Pittman has like a YouTube channel. But... His YouTube is fairly large. It has about. I was watching one of his videos yesterday as he took the viewers through game day. Of yeah. the Vikings, and it's game. really cool what he does. Great behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Two hundred, like over two hundred fifty thousand followers. That's what his. Uh, I think she's girlfriend or fiance. She edits the videos. He he records them. Yeah. Um. I, I'm not concerned yet. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm judging more off Twitter and Instagram. I would say he is one of the least active players compared to a lot of other guys on this football team. I don't. You know, I, I don't need to be Michael Pittman's father here and or his mom here and say get off social media. Um, I'll say this: just welcome to 2020 and athletes. You know, I mean, this mm-hmm. is the norm. It's a miracle that we don't have, you know, guys doing TikTok touchdown dances or whatnot. <laughs> I mean, seriously, yeah. it's, it's just this is like this is the new norm of what you're going to expect from this new generation. And um, yeah, I, I actually think Michael Pittman is a great football character. I think he can compartmentalize pretty well, and I don't think it's a distraction or things like that. I, he had a great quote earlier this week about he wants to become a great run blocker, and you know the question was kind of like, why? And he's like, I hear my dad talk about Keyshawn Johnson and just rave about him as one of his favorite teammates because he was such a good blocker for him, and I want Jonathan Taylor to talk about me in that way. You know, again, I... I just because he's firing off a YouTube video or whatever, he's taking a selfie video on the field before the game, you know, I, I think Michael Pittman, more than any player, probably gets what it means to be an NFL player mm-hmm. and the type of work ethic that goes into that. So, you know, I don't, you know, a couple mental lapses here and there, I'm not going to chalk it up to, you know, he's filming himself 30 seconds on the field before a game. Something that didn't really surprise me, but uh, that Pittman said in that video, and then Jonathan Taylor also said today in an interview with Dan Dockich, as they both stressed, the recovery after these games are a little bit different than than in college. Yeah, you know, we we talked about it, you know, about Jonathan Taylor's fumbling. Like, you're going to get hit a whole lot more in the NFL mm-hmm. earlier in play, harder in play, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the brunt of carrying the ball 26 times in the NFL is a lot different than carrying it 26 times in college. So, um, and, and Pittman has talked about just the violence of it as well. Yeah, it, it's different. And, you know, these guys certainly being available, man, I mean, 
you'd put Taylor Pittman Blackman on a list of top 15, top 20 most important Colts probably moving forward here this season. Right. And some, I mean, you could argue a lot higher for a guy like Taylor. This one comes from KJ. Why do they open the roof? Other than having, other than having has paid for it, no discernible benefit to doing so. Well, it's that. Uh, they paid for it, <laughs> so they feel <laughs> obligated to open it. I mean, it's. I, I think that's literally what what it boils down to. It's. Uh, I, I found it just laughable that you know Frank Reich was talking the other day and saying how he uh, was nervous to call the deep ball to Hilton to that part of the field because of the sun. He like that he consciously thought about mm-hmm. it. I'm like, when your head coach has got a game plan for the damn roof being open, right. why the f- why is yeah. it open? I mean, seriously, like we paid for it, Kevin. <laughs> right, and but that's literally what it is. It's it's the Colts and and you know Lucas Oil and whatever the CIB saying. Oh gosh, we got to uh, appease the public and mm-hmm. say. From a weather standpoint, it should have been open on Sunday. It was a perfect was day beautiful. to have the roof open. But when it's impacting your team like that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's no home field advantage. Uh, and I, I don't know if – I can't say I remember, like, the Lucas Oil dynamics, but I, someone's told me, like, they screwed up what side the benches were on. Okay. Like, the home field's much more in the sun. Or gotcha. The home sideline's much more in the sun than the visiting sideline. It is, you know. Who knows? It'll be 4 o'clock this Sunday, so I don't think that will um, – hopefully that won't impact it. But, I mean, I love Lucas Oil. I love the look of it. I, I love the window. I think that's cool and yep. all that. But, yeah, part of me is just like keep the dome, get the atmosphere going. and Especially when you're not going to have that many fans in there to make noise. That noise is just escaping. Oh, it's just through the- gone. And, I mean, the RCA Dome, obviously, one of the loudest venues around. So, yeah, that's uh, – they literally opened the roof to uh, optics. Seriously. Dan wants to know, do you think Rivers struggles with touch passes? It seems that there have been times when a little finesse was in order, but Rivers threw it way too hard. Uh, well, One last thing. I know Manning and Venetari, they never wanted that roof open. I mean, yeah. they, they never wanted it. I, and if they had it their way, it wouldn't. that's why the roof was open when Peyton came back here. It was, what, 40-degree night in October? <laughs> They're like, open the damn thing. We're trying to win. Uh, and it was smart. Uh, okay, fin- what, what's he saying? Finesse? Does Rivers have, uh, is he struggling with touch passes? He seems like there's sometimes a finesse pass could have been thrown, but he threw it a little bit too hard. Really? Um, I I haven't noticed that. I don't, I mean, that sounds more like a Jacoby thing, you know, and yeah. okay, he's got 98 mile per hour, but, you know, can he paint it 88 when we need to and things like that? I haven't noticed that. I mean, Rivers has been what? Nearly 80% in both of his games, and he's had at least three drops from Hilton, and I'm sure there's been – yeah, I don't – no, I don't. I remember there being an out route, and I can't remember who ran it, that the ball was well past him, way, way in front of him. I want to see it was Pittman. Well, but... see, I think that was the miscommunication stuff. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's, so what, that's it what it is. is. I don't know if that's necessarily – you know, I think a finesse timing, I think of – you aren't leading guys coming out of the backfield or you're struggling just making the easy throw, and I haven't seen that from them really at all. This is from Colts Group Therapy. You pushed to draft a quarterback this past April. I was one of the same that had the same mindset. I know it's only one game, but watching someone like Herbert yesterday or Sunday and then watching our quarterback really makes me question the strategy this past April of not moving up to take a quarterback. Thoughts? Uh, Michael asked a similar question. I I, I forgot to throw that in there. Um, What's the date? September 23rd. 
It's early, man. I, I can't. Justin Herbert, nice debut, but I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, stand on the table. What a horrific decision the Colts made. As Colts Group Therapy states, yeah, I definitely pushed for a quarterback to be taken, and, and I you know, stand by that really because I think the future of that position means so much to mm-hmm. a franchise. That's really where I stand by it. Um, again, I don't think Rivers has been as bad as this indicates, and I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit more. But, um, you know, inevitably, Chris, we will look back on this 2020 draft and say, you had the 13th overall pick. Was that a missed opportunity to move up with a more, shall we say, reasonable trade package? You know, 13 to 5 is a lot different than 22 to 3 or whatever the Colts are going to be drafting next April. Yeah. So I guess that's where you have some pause of, um, you know, was that the wisest decision of, because it's something when you trade up, and this is where, you know, Houston and the Saint or Houston and, um, Kansas City obviously waited till the last minute to move up to get their respective quarterbacks in that 2017 draft. Mm-hmm. That's where you got to make sure that it's not like you can do what the Jets did in March of 2018 when they traded up with the Colts. They moved up to three. Well, they know. There's just two spots ahead of them. And they were content with if Baker goes there and Darnold goes there, we're content with Josh Allen or Josh Rote. Like They knew what was going to be their three. You've got to move all the way up. Like you, you, you can't get to seven and hope the right guy is going to be there unless mm-hmm. you do it exactly on draft night when the first six spots right. are up there. So I guess that's where I have a little bit of when you do make this trade up, and I, I say when because I think that's how it's got to be looked at moving forward, boy, you can't screw it up and you know get to seven and all of a sudden someone is there at six and takes your guy and all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're plan C. Yeah, at the seventh overall pick, if that makes sense. Um, I also feel like what, what Ballard looked at, you know, clearly he didn't love enough of those quarterbacks to sit there at thirteen, trade up, whatever. He felt like DeForest Buckner was that important, and I think he looked at this draft as another year to build my overall depth. And and I can kind of see that. I mean, certainly, like when you trade up next year. If you do that, yes, you are missing out on the ability to add depth at corner and tackle and wide out. And we'll always nitpick certain positions that need improvement on this football team. But you're in a better spot than maybe you would have been. Like, let's say if you traded up from 13 to 4 this year. And you would have given up, I don't know, the 34th overall pick and let's say your third rounder. I'm just making up a trade off the top of my head. So that means you don't have DeForest Buckner, you don't have Michael Pittman, and you don't have Julian Blackman. Theoretically. Um, do you feel as good about your overall roster? Because I feel like quarterbacks, you know, when we look at like the 2018 draft, I mean, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, they walked into the best situations right. of Rosen, Mayfield, Darnold, and they've had the best success. Mm-hmm. So I think Ballard might look at it a little bit that way of like, if you don't give your quarter, your rookie quarterback enough around you, oh, shit. I mean, that could be a recipe for... For disaster, and the guy might, you know, be mentally shot by his, you know, second season, something you're like seeing, that. You're seeing it with Darnold, who we're going to play this weekend, right? Uh, and you know, Baker in a couple weeks. I mean, yeah. certainly, yeah, there are classic examples of it here right now in the NFL. So I, I see where Ballard, you know, his kind of line of thinking there. But obviously, the ability to move up from 13 to four, like I said, is a lot different than moving up from 25 to four or something like yeah. that. 
This one comes from Garrett. Do you think there's actually a better chance Hooker resigns with the Colts now? Curious what the market will be for him. Might be better for him to do a one-year prove-it season than he can play behind Blackman or in situational packages. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was very minimal percentage that Hooker would was going to be re-signed before the injury, so I guess maybe it's increased slightly, but I don't think it's like a Marlon Mack where, you know, running backs are kind of different. You, you, uh, you're willing to take a one-year flyer on a very cheap guy that's like, oh, yeah, you know, maybe he'll be healthy, and you always need a lot of running backs. Your safety depth is a little bit better than what you have. I might also go back to what I said on Monday. Does Hooker want to play in this scheme again? Yeah. You know, I don't think he feels deep down that he was utilized in the best manner here um, during his time in Indianapolis. And I also feel like when you look at Marlon Mack and Malik Hooker in the three-year kind of arcs of their career, very different. So I think you're factoring that as well. Um, so, yeah, maybe slightly more increased just because his market won't be as attractive. But still, it's uh, this was not as... Um, Happy of a marriage as I think Marlon Mack and the Colts are. Mr. Y and Zachary have a similar question regarding Jordan Wilkins. Why doesn't he get more? Why isn't he in the rotation more? They feel like he constantly has solid rushing average. You know, it's a popular question that we we get a lot. Um, I think it's hard to use a fourth running back, and you know when you're healthy there, Mac, mm -hmm. Taylor, Hines, and then Wilkins. Uh, you know, he had a couple fumbles as a rookie that I think have kind of. You know, state of the staff a little bit. There's some more trustworthy guys. And, you know, he battled an injury in camp last year. I just think the Colts were pretty healthy at running back. I don't think Hines is – unless I'm missing one. I don't think Hines has missed a game in the NFL. I don't feel like he has. And, obviously, Mack was pretty durable for the vast majority of last season. So, I just – I think it's almost too many cooks in the kitchen at running back. Do you feel like Mack's getting into a great rhythm? Um yeah, I think that's kind of part of it. And, like, Wilkins' numbers have been good, but, you know, it's probably fair to say a, a decent amount of his carries have come in the fourth quarter when the game is no longer really in doubt. Um, but I still think you sprinkle them in a little bit moving forward. I don't think Taylor 26 carries is, should be the norm. I think it's a, you know, get Wilkins involved, obviously get Hines more involved. And for all the fantasy experts out there that have Hines in their team, they're asking me Monday. I mean, he's going to be involved more. That is That was the anomaly. Like, I think he will be a factor. You know, Vikings game plan was just vastly different than anything you tried, really, week one. Yep. This one's from Daniel. After the first two weeks, and hopefully this week, the Jets are looking like the worst team in the league. What are your thoughts on them moving on from Darnold if they were to get a top pick. He feels like they haven't treated him right in New York and would be a good target for the Colts considering they more than likely won't be picking in the top 10 of next year's draft. You know, let's start here. The Jets suck. They suck. I mean, look at their roster. It is a pathetic-looking roster. There are six starters on injured reserve, too. I mean, like, God bless them. Frank Gore is their starting running back. I mean, come on now. Yeah. Frank, you know, that's three yards per carry every time. I mean, you know, I, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer in my mind, and we can save that for a summer debate. But still, it's like there's just outside of a Mackay Beckham and a Quinnen Williams, there is just – it's a sorry, sorry-looking roster right now. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, if you get the first overall pick, you have to take Lawrence. Like that's just it's just a no brainer. You need to inject some life into your franchise. And clearly, um, I don't think Darnold is, has offered you that. Or again, environment plays into it. All those things. I don't know. It, it's interesting. Um, really interesting thought Daniel has. I mean, you got to be damn sold on Darnold. And obviously, we don't know the 2018 draft because. You had luck, so you never were really evaluating those quarterbacks truly there. Um, Why I say you have to be sold on it, you know, Sam Darnold will be a fourth year in the NFL next year. Yeah, 2018, 2019, 2020. Yeah. That's the end of his rookie contract. I mean, he's got the fifth-year option, but you've got to give him a second contract pretty soon. So, yeah, I don't – He's got his boy Pittman. Yeah. That is a good point, but still, I just, I, I, I don't hate Darnold. I don't think, it's like a, not a Josh Rosen. I think Darnold is, you know, has nice moments, and again, I don't think he's in a great environment by any means, but still, I don't, I don't love that. I You worry about scar tissue, I think, with guys and other quarterbacks that have been in different systems and different environments, and are they gun shy now? Are they hesitant to do things? Have they created bad habits? You right. know, just that stuff, so. I'd probably rather mold a uh, rookie quarterback, which, again, I know with Daniel, you, you aren't going to be picking in the top 10 of next year's draft. Like, you're going to have to move up. I, I can acknowledge that, but I, I'd be willing to do that. Mitchell has a two-parter for us. First one, is he overthinking that Doolin is returning kickoffs well to give better field position? Uh, Yeah. I'm kind of confused, I guess, is what he's asking. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal. You're returning kicks to create – Field position, so and the Colts have been successful in that. There's some nice hidden yardage there. Number two, if Paris Campbell is out for longer than three or four weeks, is it crazy to trade something for Odell since Cleveland said they were open to offers? Yeah, it is crazy. Um, you can't have Odell in your locker room. I'm sorry, it just it's it's just not going to work out. Um, and I fully expect Paris Campbell to miss a lot more than three or four weeks. I was talking to um, a buddy of mine who's an orthopedic surgeon for a different professional sports team and. Pretty much said PCL involvement, yeah, two to three months at best. Okay, that sort of thing. And again, who knows how severe it was with Campbell? But I'm expecting this to be a uh, much more than a whatever three week on the IR list this year and 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 coming back. Another tight end question. This one comes from David. He knows they really love Mo after the game. How do they get all three tight ends who they've seemed to been in love with significant playing time? Are they going to be seeing a lot more heavy sets? That would also help our wide receiver issues at the moment. Let me touch one more thing on Mitchell about Odell Beckham there. It okay. just I, I just think you don't bring that guy in your locker room midseason. You're going to have inevitable chem, chemistry issues that are going to arise, and we've seen how Odell Beckham reacts to that. True. And I just don't think you, you do that. It's uh, unbelievable talent, yeah, but in-season trades – and expecting the chemistry to be great, especially for a guy that, you know, we talk about deep balls and, you know, where's Rivers at, although he threw a great one on Monday or on Sunday. It's just kind of like, yeah. So, I don't know. Um, all right, what's David saying? How do they get all three tight ends involved? Yes, and is are they going to be seeing a lot more heavier sets? He feels like that would help our wide receiver issues at the moment. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, David. Um, I also think we're probably still a week or two away from this. You know, Jack Doyle didn't practice today. You know, Trey Burton's definitely out on, on Sunday. We're, we're probably in October before this is really a, oh, my gosh, do you have too many tight ends? Uh, and, and, you know, the thing that has also kind of hurt 
Moali a little bit is he's been banged up at times in his career. I think that's kind of stunted him a little bit as well. But I definitely want to see different two tight end personnel, and Frank Reich has has done that. You know, there's again games where Moali Cox was out snapping Eric Ebron. You know, back even in 2018 when Ebron was you know having that that great great season. So um, I think you can get really creative in short yardage. You know, you put. Allie Cox, Burton, Doyle on the field on a third and two or a fourth and one or something like that, that defense can't sell out on the run. And I feel like one of just a great play the Colts use so often, is, and they try to use it on the Jacoby uh, play week one is the quick little hitter to Doyle. I think they used it again on the goal line, the little quick hitter to Zach Paschal for the touchdown. Mm-hmm. They use that so often. Uh, I think that's a play that you can go to. So um, I, I'm really excited to see Burton. You know, when you talk about slot guys that could fill in the slot, I think Burton could be that. Jay wants to know, if you were to redo the draft of 2018, where do you think Leonard and Nelson would go? 2018 draft? Yep. So that was quarterback heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have it up, draft up? I do. Uh, quickly run through the top ten. Baker, Saquon Barkley, Sam Darnold, the Browns took Denzel Ward. Broncos, Bradley Chubb. We got Quentin Nelson, Bills, Josh Allen, Roquan Smith for the Bears, and Mike McGlinchey, San Francisco 49ers. And then rounding it out, top 10, Josh Rosen to the Cardinals. Well, I'd say Lamar Jackson goes one. He was in that draft, obviously. I don't think what Baltimore traded back into round one. They did. He was the last pick of that first round. Um. And I'm are we and I'm guessing we're redrafting this, assuming the teams still want to fill those positions that they went after. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, that would be. I don't know if I can study it that much. No, that's fine. Yeah, I, yeah, that's probably right. I mean, I would say if I'm taking the best player, you know, and position obviously being factored in, Lamar would go one, mm-hmm. two would be probably Josh Allen, honestly. Um, I would say three is either Nelson or Minka Fitzpatrick was in that draft, yes, if I'm not was. mistaken. Yes, he was. Probably Leonard goes next, then Barkley. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm taking into consideration running backs and how I'd never take a running back in the top five. Mike McGlinchey, I, I, you know who would probably go top, I don't know if top 10, but he'd probably go top 15. It's Braden Smith. I, th- I mean, you talk about quality offensive tackle, <laughs> you would love that. In a top 15 pick. So, I don't know. People hate guards. People hate linebackers. So, it's hard to project how high Nelson and Leonard would go. But you can't tell me outside of quarterback. Outside of Mika Fitzpatrick, find me two other players in the draft that, mm-hmm. that have made an impact in the NFL like those two have at their position. So, yeah, I'd probably say both of them go top five. This one comes from Jason. Hale Hinches was in town for a tryout this week or last week, the, the dude was on a, was a stud player during the practice squad. Why haven't we picked him up on the practice squad yet? You know, they uh, – well, he, they have. Um, this question obviously was sent in before. Um, Hale Hinches is on the practice squad, and we'll see. Right now, there are three tight ends on the active roster. Molly Cox, Noah Tungy, I actually played a lot on Sunday. And then Farrard Green, their undrafted free agent from Mississippi State. So, yeah, maybe Hale gets promoted, but – um. Yeah, clearly they like the other undrafted free agents, wanted to give them a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think something you have to remember about all you know, practice squad debates and who should they sign and you know, bringing back your own, and sometimes it's just like, I want to see a fresh body. 
I, I know who that guy is. I know where his ceiling is. Do we think that guy has a higher ceiling? Let's bring him in for a week yeah. and see what can happen. From Vince, what different variations of the 4-3 would you like to see more? He feels he knows that we hear Tampa 2 and the bend but don't break, but a lot of te- a lot of teams play the 4-3 and aren't thought of that way. Yeah, it's a good question, Vince. I You know, I've stressed kind of the pre-snap disguising that I want to see. I Maybe the structure doesn't necessarily look like basic 4-3 and alignment is here and it's the same gaps and, like, the quarterback just comes to the line of scrimmage and knows exactly where Buckner and, and Leonard and Walker and Houston and everyone's going to be um, snap and snap out. You know, Matty Rufus brings up the rerouting of wideouts as like a big thing or pass catchers that he really wants to do. So when I hear that, I'm thinking, okay, you know, more coverage based stuff underneath. You know, you hear that no cover zone. Eberflus mentioned that phrase one time, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> no cover zone? Like, it's the NFL. Like, yeah, I'm going to cover every inch of the field if I can. So, you know, start that level earlier. You know, teams that don't have great offensive lines, they want to get that ball out rapidly quick. Yes. So I don't want that first level to be easy. Um, so, again, it doesn't have to be press man all across, but, you know, a little bump, and then you settle right there in your zone, and now you've created a little bit of blurred vision up there. So I think that's some of the kind of coverage principles, beliefs, that you can structurally still be a 4-3, but can your alignment look different? Can your disguising look different? And can some of the first-level coverage be different as well. I'm going to guess on this Twitter name, but I believe 11 bout. Question is, Taylor and Moelle Cox look like beast. Why do you think they did not get more playing time before? Well, Jonathan Taylor was a rookie, um, so I, I don't know what more you wanted. I touched it, I think, 15 times in the opener. That's pretty good for a rookie. Uh, most Taylor had the most carries in week two of any NFL rookie since, I think, 2016. Wow. I mean, you don't see a rookie running back. You don't see any running back really carry it 26 times, let alone a rookie. Yeah. And, and to get back to what I was saying about Mo earlier, a little bit of injuries, a little bit of development. This guy didn't play football. He hadn't played football since his freshman year of high school. <laughs> Got to develop a little bit. So I think route running, You were he was behind some pretty good tight ends. You know, how trustworthy can you be? Uh, I think that's what kind of played into a little bit of that. Question from Daniel, with Campbell out for the foreseeable future, he wonders if we'll see the offense transition into a more run-heavy set with two tight ends. They can be efficient this way, but on paper, we'd be, we would be similar to the Titans. Strong D, ground game, and decent special teams. It can win games, but may not be the exciting football we plan on watching heading into this season. You know, Daniel, it's, it's an interesting thought. I think what I like about the Titans is they still have the ability to hit on some big plays in the passing game. You know, A.J. Brown was a pretty yeah. damn good weapon for him last season. I think of the big pass to Raymond they hit here on a third and ten to really seal that game, which, you know, more or less ended the Colts' uh, 2019 season. So uh, I, I, I want to still see them try out other personnel groupings. I don't want to see them so dominant within their game plan of, like, we're going to run it, we're going to run it, we're mm-hmm. going to run it. Like, when you start tipping your hand like that, in the NFL, it's easier, in my opinion, to take away the run than it is the pass. I can load up a box. I can load it up, and it's just kind of mono mono. The pass, I think it's just a lot more different paths you can take, different routes, obviously, uh, tight ends and running backs out of the backfield and big body wideouts and, you know, kind of more the jitterbug wideouts and all of that. So... 
you have to try to be diverse. Is the Colts' core philosophy the run game? Without a doubt. And I, you don't want to lose sight of that. But over the course of a 16-game season, and when you get in the postseason, you've got to be able to win games multiple. And so that's why I do want to see them, you know, continue to try other things because you're going to have to. And, and you know, you're going to have to win shootouts. Baltimore and Kansas City, are they just going to score a bunch week in and week out? You know, how much keep away can you play? Because, you know, I go back to that playoff loss in Kansas City two years ago. You had the ideal blueprint, it seemed like. You know, the stout run team that just dominated the Texans and the best run defense in the NFL in the wild card. And now you're going to Arrowhead where they're a terrible run defense team. You want to play keep away. You want to probably limit Patrick Mahomes in those possessions. And you get totally stuffed on the ground. So, you know, that's where I get back to being able to beat teams multiple ways. So this one's from Nathan. With how well Cox played on Sunday, do you think that he can beat out Burton for the tight end two spot when he comes back? Or when Burton comes back, will he go to tight end three? Yeah, I don't want to get too caught up in the depth chart. You know, it, like I said earlier, Ali Cox outsnapped Ebron. And I don't think anyone knew that a couple of years ago. They just saw Ebron score a touchdown and they were happy fantasy-wise. So, you know, Burton offers a pretty niche role. Like, I was asking Nick Sirianni earlier in the week, I felt like Mo'Ally Cox's route tree on Sunday, that's pretty vertical. Yeah. I mean, he had the screen, mm-hmm. but, I mean, I don't I don't see Jack Doyle running too many routes that deep in the field. I mean, honestly, it's kind of Eric Ebron routes that he was running vertical. But still, Burton is probably more of like your intermediate guy and 6'2", 230, and, uh, you know, just offers a different skill set. So I think Frank will use those guys very inter- interchanging wise. And maybe Jack Doyle is not playing a hundred percent of the snaps or 95% of the snaps like you used to. I, I I don't know. Maybe that's a wrinkle that you throw in there as well. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's just going to be like, this is a team that only uses two tight ends. And if you, if you're the tight end three, you don't play. That's not Frank Reich. Kevin Corey hopes things are well with you and the family. Appreciate that. Corey, same to you. Corey Zadonis, great, great golfer. Um, won an individual state title. I don't know if that's Corey. One of my favorite teammates, one of my favorite humans of all time, Corey Zadonis. Well done. Whose performance this weekend shocked you, whether it be good or for bad reasons? Well, let's start with the good. Uh, you know, we've talked about him a lot. How about Blackman? I mean, wow. Playing is enough, let alone making impact. Uh, I thought Taylor Stallworth, the other guy we've mentioned, you know, a few times, a couple big run stops early in the game. You know, those were guys that I thought I thought Mark Lewinsky played a little better. That was needed. Um bad, probably Hilton. You know? Um The Sun, you know, I go back and watch that play and I'm just like, that's awful. But I mean, that ball was right there. I mean, he literally Rare basket. Yeah, I mean, like he caught it. It was there. And then dropped it. Which I know that sounds a lot simpler than, you know, it's a lot harder than I just made it sound. But, yeah, those are some of the guys that stood out and maybe not so bad. Who else bad? I don't – I mean, Malali Cox bounces back from the drop. He's probably in the good category. He probably outweighed that by the end. I don't – man. Yeah, I, I don't think of anybody else that I put in the bad category. Yeah, it was, it was mostly good. It was a really good performance. Blake and Ship, certainly good. Question from Creighton, which position do you see the biggest need coming into this offseason outside of quarterback via draft or free agency? Yeah, corner. 
cornerback for sure. You know, Rhodes one year deal, Carey one year deal, both thirty years old. Obviously, Marvell Tell's opt out situation, uh, wide out, and this this probably goes back to the Campbell injury. You know, that's right, yeah, boy. And has Whiteout been on this list every freaking year? I mean, seriously, yeah. like always. Um, offensive tackle depth. From Daniel, Colts had a nice showing overall, but their lack of being able to score in the red zone, which keeps the game closer than it should be, is concerning. Nice to get a first win. Hopefully one of many more to come. Yeah, Daniel, I guess we kind of hit on this earlier, so I won't touch on it too much now. But, again, I, I trust Reich, but I am, Chris, getting into the the area of, like, man, no Burton, no Campbell. Those are two guys I'd love to see in the red zone. And the thing about Campbell, too, is just – you know, he's such a guy that doesn't have to touch the ball to impact things. Because, again, when he's doing the jet sweep stuff or he's lined up in the backfield and then you motion him out or you run a crosser with him, when a DB sees 15, he's going to react to that differently when a DB sees yep. 10 of Reese Fountain or 14 of Zach Paschal. That dude strikes more fear than a lot of other guys. And I just think he can open up other avenues of, all right, maybe Campbell isn't purely touching the ball, but he's at least making a defense think pre-snap of, where is he again? And do we have enough in that area in case he does touch the ball to be able to stop him? So that's where I'm a little worried. Well, we've had a question about um, Darnold. We've had a question about Colts coming or QBs coming up in the draft. Ryan has a question looking into the future. If Dak is available after the season, should the Colts sign him to a long-term deal? Uh, no, no. Um we, we touched on this on an earlier podcast, so check that out. I, we definitely did. Check out a summer pod. I think it was in the title, if I'm not mistaken. So yes. check that out, Ryan. We, we, we hit on this. Basically, I, you know, it's nothing. I don't think Dak. I think Dak's a fine quarterback, but it's just the financials. Yeah. Where, where you get into it, you really need your next starting quarterback to be a, on a rookie deal. This one's from David. Do you think Rivers looks for the check down a bit too often? It leads to easy completions and builds over time, but the intermediate routes haven't really developed yet. Maybe one to three deep balls. Do you think they'll open up over time, or is this the passing offense we will expect for the rest of 2020? Well, uh, like I said earlier, you're going to have to hit on some chunks, but I am really pleased with two key numbers of Phillip Rivers so far. Rivers, 78% week one. Yards per attempt was 7.9. Really good. Mm -hmm. Week two, 76% completion percentage. Pretty good. 8.5 was the yards per attempt number. That is accuracy and enough big play substance that, and, and I hate to bring it up, but you just do because it was last year that Jacoby never sniffed. That is the reason why the Colts made this upgrade. It, it's crazy. When I looked at those numbers, I'm like, man, that is efficiency and maintaining enough of a big play. Are, are the Colts hitting on the 40-yard chunk right now? No, but to me, that yards per attempt number is more impressive because that means they're consistently hitting on enough of the 13, 17-yard sort of completion that can offset, you know, the little three-yard dump to a running back to stay ahead of the chains. So I was thinking, all right, Rivers through two games, that completion percentage number and that yards per attempt number, how many times do you think Andrew Luck did that in his career? Andrew Luck played oh, wow. 86 career games. Okay. 
and again, these aren't eye eye popping games from Rivers so far. Like I don't think we we'd say these are just incredible Philip Rivers games so far. But basically, I just want Colts fans to be reminded of, you know, where where you're at at the quarterback position. What do you think? How many of eighty six? Out of eighty six, I would hope it's north of fifty. But knowing my guess is that's going to be way off. Yeah, it is. <laughs> way off. Five. Five. Five games. Wow. Now, the yards per attempt number was always pretty high with Luck. Jeez. And now, to be fair, he didn't play in a Frank Reich offense very often. I think two of the five occurred with Reich. But it's the accuracy. And, and these metrics, you know, Frank and, and Nick talk about it a lot. If you can get to the seven and a half yards per attempt and, and borderline eight on a routine basis, that's pretty good quarterback play. Well, he's giving you 7.9 and 8.5, and you don't have the skewed 50-yard, 50 50-yarder 50 to Hilton on Sunday that can kind of mm-hmm. you know make that look a little bit not as accurate as, as it is. So, you know, if I'm grading Phillip Rivers after two games, I'm giving him probably a solid B. I know some people would sit here and be like, no, he threw those two picks week one. That's inexcusable. That cannot happen. Like, he sucks. That's literally what I felt like my timeline is like. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. He's an upgrade over what you had last year. Has he been a top five quarterback through two weeks? No. He's getting the ball out quick, third fastest in the NFL right now, and getting the ball out quick. And he's putting up great accuracy and really good yards per attempt number. So I just think we got to make sure that we acknowledge you've gotten good quarterback play so far. It's not been Hall of Fame good, but it's an upgrade. And on a one-year deal through two weeks, I think you'd be pretty pretty content with, with what you've gotten so far. And I would think that those numbers that you just gave directly correlate with how much time of possession we've been able to control the first two weeks. How many times have you punted? Yeah. You know, I mean, think about it. You haven't ran out Rigo too too often. It's been – that's spot on. You, you've stayed ahead of the chains. There are elements to this offense you want to see more out of. We've talked about the red zone. Yeah, I'd like a, a, you know that play action. I'd like Hilton to catch it, honestly. Mm-hmm. And, and you'd probably be pretty – happy with what you got but I just want to make sure we acknowledge the Colts have gotten better than decent quarterback play so far well we'll stay with Rivers on the Forge and Blues question with Rivers early interception struggles and the reports of how good Eason has looked and the time they're putting in with him if you had to guess right now (laughs) Rivers back next year or is it Eason's time to shine I swear we didn't put these questions back to back on on purpose. <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah. I mean, Easton threw thirty balls in camp. I I said it even back during the summer, Chris. Philip Rivers got to fall pretty pretty hard mm-hmm. on his face for this not to be a two year thing. Like, you know, that's that's because what do you what are you seeing from Easton that is ever going to make you say, man, you see him run the scout <laughs> team today? Oh, he looked great. Like, you you can't say that, and all of a sudden. Give him the keys to be your starting quarterback for the franchise. Phillip Rivers, I'd be, uh, unless he just doesn't love playing the game of football anymore and wants to move, which I, I, I don't know, um, or they got a stud transfer at the Alabama high school and he wants to coach that guy. I I, I don't know. I mean, I fully expect Phillip Rivers to be a quarterback. All right, well, we feel sorry for you, Jordan. He wants some advice on his fantasy football team that he drafted Marlon Mack, Paris Campbell, Kenny Galladay, George Kittle, and A.J. Brown. Holy Is he just the injury curse of the year? Gosh, I mean, I don't believe in curses, but for those of you that do, um, they might say, I don't want to be within 100 miles of Jordan. (laughs) 
Jordan, if you live with anybody, I I'd lock my right. door every night. Um, I I think I know a decent amount about the NFL, but man, I'm last place in our listener fantasy league, and I talk. Um, I mean, Chris, <laughs> I suck. What what have you done? Have you did you win? I'm pretty sure I'm 0 for two as well. Both of mine were close, but dude, I just got just yeah. I'm the Jets. I am the castoffs. I'm the Jets. Yeah, Um, that is boy. Are there enough IR spots to put all those guys on? I mean, hell, just drop them. (laughs) Drop some of them at least. This is from Stan. What's more likely, Mo becomes tight end one or Pittman becomes wide receiver one? Stan, why don't you ask more questions? I love this. More likely. Give it to me again. Mo Cox becomes the team's tight end number one or Pittman becomes the team's wide receiver number one? Well, I'll throw this. Is Stan talking this year or down the road? I think down the road, Mo Cox. Um, Slightly. I mean, God, I'm Pittman. This year... I mean, you might argue Michael Pittman's one T.Y. Hilton injury away from mm-hmm. being the number one wideout. Yeah. So, I mean, I still think Pittman's got a good shot to be number one receiver as well. But if I'm really kind of bank, you know, let's say Campbell makes a full recovery and looks like the Campbell we saw week one and stays healthy and you re-sign Hilton for two years, you know, it might be a little bit of time for Pittman. Mo Ali Cox, yeah, I mean, Burton's on a one-year deal. Doyle's got, what, two years left? So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think both can be. And honestly, how great, how important would it be for this franchise if both of them achieved that? Yes. Mo Alley just turned 27. Yeah, a lot of good years left. Mm-hmm. Especially that position. Yeah. All right, Kevin. The uh, number of runs on Sunday bothered Felipe a little bit. Do you think that's mostly because we were playing from a lead or that Reich wants to shift back to last year's model? Felipe, man, you're bothered by a double-digit win. I, I, I'm i sorry. Um, I mean, the Colts were in full control. They knew Minnesota's biggest weakness. They were going to attack it, and uh, they didn't want to put too much on the plate of um, Philip Rivers. And I'd be curious how much did the Campbell injury you know, impact things. You probably had a lot of stuff in the game plan for him specifically that you couldn't get back into. You know, you know, people watch Ashton Doolin take a jet sweep, and they're like, he can be the next Campbell. I mean, yeah. Guys caught, what, two balls in the NFL? So, um, yeah, bothered is not the word I would use. Could you have thrown in a few more catches, pass plays, whatever? Sure, but you move the ball all day long. You got yourself into constant scoring position. I'm okay. Finish off a few more drives, score 34 points, and it's a damn good day in the NFL. And also, I mean, look at the Viking safeties. Best safety duo in the league? Mm-hmm. Probably. Up there. So, I mean, throwing away from those guys probably makes sense. All right, three more Twitter questions before we get into takeaways and the predictions for this weekend's game. This one from Mr. Fantastic. Mm. What do you think the future of Paris Campbell and Hooker are? They seem to catch the injury bug every season. Yeah, you know, I've, I've mentioned Hooker. I, I think it's probably over. Um, Campbell... You know, Chris, you just, is he fragile? I don't, he never got hurt at Ohio State. Never mm-hmm. did. And now here, it's it's weird. It's the soft tissue of a hamstring in training camp. Then it's what? Hernia, I believe, that he like kind of played through, I think, early on in his rookie season. Then he breaks a hand, and then he breaks a foot, and 
gets in a car crash. I mean, like, yeah. some of this stuff is just fluker than fluke, and others it's kind of like, then you see the Harrison Smith hit on Sunday, and I'm like, that hit probably would have hurt a lot of people in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. It's um, it certainly impacts your confidence, though. It has to. You you can't look at Paris Campbell and have this abundance of confidence and say, we're not going to give receiver as much attention this off season. I, I, you just can't, you can't say that. So. Um, obviously, two two more years left on his rookie deal. It's not like he's going anywhere, and you want to see him continue to rehab and grow and all that. But, yeah, I think it improves the chances of T.Y. Hilton coming back. Mm-hmm. And I still think receiver is a need in the offseason. Is it as big of a need as last year? Probably not, but I think it's still a need, man. Yeah. This one comes from Josh. It always seemed that the stubborn adherence to the cover two was personnel-based. Does this win show that the Colts have a secondary that can play a different style from what they've played the past, past few years? If so, why do we keep going back after big su- successes like against Kansas City? Josh, preach, preach, preach. You know, that's probably been my biggest issue is there's been flashes. Mm-hmm. There's been moments of against these unbelievable offense like Kansas City, even though they were missing, you know, Tyreek Hill in that game. It's... um. They've shown they can play a different style and have success. So when you get into ruts, like we talked about on Monday's podcast, go back to that. Try something different. Uh, you know, people say it's the simplest defense in the NFL that you game plan for. It's like, you know, how do you be more complex? Of Just showing on tape on a more routine basis, we can do that. Now you've got a game plan for us a little bit more than we have to game plan for you. Um you know, I, I, I've i said it before, and I'll say it again. Look at what you're playing in November. I mean, look at what you're playing in the second half of the season right now. Right now, I think I think it's this, Chris. The, the teams you play between now and when you start with Baltimore, yep. those teams are combined 4-10 and 10 on the season, and that includes the 2-0 Bears. So 4-10. and 10. So some shitty football teams yeah. you're playing those first seven games. The back half of the schedule, I want to say the record is, I think it's 13-5, and five, it's those opponents. Be up there. Yeah, because a team like the Raiders, you didn't know what to expect. They've gotten off to a good start. you got undefeated teams. The Titans twice, mm-hmm. Raiders 2-0, Steelers 2-0, Packers 2-0, Ravens 2-0. Five of those five losses, four of them are the Texans, and they've played yeah. you know, the two best teams in the AFC. So, again, what I'm getting at is you're going to play some – pretty good offenses do you have different game plans you can go to and trust so josh i i couldn't agree with that more it um it is stubbornness to me which i know is kind of a harsh word to use but it's a big reason why name mcmillan got fired you've done it well so try it again and not wait till all hell breaks loose before you go back to it Last real question of this podcast comes from Michael, and we're going to stick here with the defense. With arguably the worst team in the league coming in with the Jets, what are the best ways the Colts can contain Darnold to not give him the confidence to get the upset against us? Um, I mean, the Jets are horrid, like I said. You know, he was 80%. Darnold had a career high, 80% completion percentage in you, against you two years ago. It's just, I think it's keep him in the pocket. I think he made, he made it great. That touchdown he threw last week was On the run? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Hogan or Barrios, I, I I forget who he threw it to, but um, boy, that was a hell of a, hell of a play. 
Yeah, I, I just keep him confined. If you keep him confined and, and disrupt some of that timing, I really am not too worked up about it. I mean, his wide – I mean, Denzel Mims, IR. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've – Joey and I definitely talked about him on Draft Podcast. Um, Brashard Perriman going to be out. They signed him when Robbie Anderson left. And uh, Jameson Crowder, who Adam Gase is called the best player on their football team. Him coming out of the slot, he's banged up as well. So – and they got they got Dante Moncrief from the practice squad. You know, Ross Travis in the practice squad. It's uh it's absurd, man. Yeah, you just don't let Darnold make some off-script plays. I really think that's the only way that mm-hmm. that you get beat. All right, that wraps up Twitter questions. Cool. Okay, Kevin. What are your three keys that the Colts have to have this week to get a victory. Yeah, double-digit point favorite, 10-point favorite. So uh, three keys, and we will take these seriously. Uh, Play to your standard. You know, too often, I think, under Frank Reich, this team has played to their competition. Now, against Kansas City, that was really good a couple years ago. But then I think of shutout to the Jaguars two years ago. Lose at home to the Dolphins last year when you're a double-digit favorite. I think you got to play your – like, you've defined a standard. You've got to play to that and not to your competition. Um, so I think that's what 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 I want to see um, first and foremost, just putting a team away. You know, you kind of did that to Minnesota, but not really. I felt like you could have, you know, really stepped on Minnesota there. Uh, rattling Darnold would be point number two. Like I said, he was 80% career high against this defense, the scheme at least. Back in his rookie season, they won a shootout, 42-34. Ironically enough, that was the first game this starting offensive line was together. Costanzo, Nelson, wow. Kelly, Glowinski, okay. Smith. So that's some silver lining there um, in that in that um, loss that you had when you went to one and five. That was the oof, that was the DEFCON. You needed Derek Anderson and the Bills to come in here and get you out of your slump. Um, I mean, no starting running back, missing a starting center, top three wideouts are gone. Just rattle him with uh, just disrupting that timing like we saw against the Vikings. And then lastly, get T.Y. going. You know, I think it's just paramount without Campbell moving forward. Of I, I'm not worried so much about his confidence. I just think T.Y.'s got to command that attention again. And to command it, you know, you got to be able to catch the football and, and – produce big plays and those sorts of things to help out your offense to say, oh, we can't put eight in the box. Like, those sorts of things. So, um, you know, he's got the same amount of drops as he had all last season. And, you know, I get T.Y. going. I probably mean red zone as well. I think that's a big area uh, for this team to certainly work on. Lastly, before we jump into the predictions, do we want to answer just two uh, over-under questions that we got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this one comes from John. Says, what's up, guys? Over under one and a half sacks for Buckner this weekend versus the Jets. One and a half sacks to force Buckner. I'll go. I'll go under. I'll say one sack. He causes another. Like doesn't get credit for it, and then he doesn't play the back half of the fourth quarter. Yep. But they they are without their starting center, Josh Andrews, former Colt. As there'll be so many former <laughs> Colts, you're gonna see. And now this one from Jason. Over under question one seventy five yards passing ninety yards rushing for the Colts. Yes. Oh, I would hope over on both. I would as well. Yeah, both are very yeah. low. Yeah, I, yeah, I would definitely hope over on both. Um, 
Yeah, if it's not over on both, this game's going to be way too close. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Cool. Prediction for this weekend? Yeah, I think they control it. I, I'm going to go 27-10. Um, you know, double-digit spreads. I don't know why anyone would ever bet on those in the NFL. It just seems like a black hole, and I'm not <laughs> referencing, you know, you. Uh, week one, it wasn't even double-digit spread. but And I didn't double down last week. Like you told me to. <laughs> I could have crawled back out of that hole. Uh, I wasn't going to bring that up. But um, <laughs> seriously, though, I, I just think – I think week one was a wake-up call for this team. And that's a little bit of silver lining. One and one is such a – it stings because you have put so much pressure on this early start of the season. We mentioned the schedule earlier. Mm-hmm. Got to get off and maintain a good start. This is the easiest game you'll play all season. The, by I mean, really. I mean, you look at their roster and their dysfunction. These questions Adam Gase is answering today in his presser, he's answering about guys in their defense saying they don't practice hard enough. <laughs> like we're at week three and we're already having locker room issues and whatnot. So it's a mess. Um, it's a mess. Don't give them hope. You know, take an early lead, play from ahead. Twenty-seven ten Colts. All right, all right, man. Um, that wraps up this edition of Kevin's Corner. Monday morning, we'll be back. Uh, pretty fluid. I mean, Chicago next week, Cleveland and Cincinnati. I think the weekend after that, then a bye week. So. Uh, this is the only home back-to-back stretch the Colts have until late November. So, 7,500, is that right? That's correct. Are you going to be there? I'm not going to be there. I was going to go. My ne- my nephew's birthday. Got to gotta go to oh, that. You got to so. go to that. 405 kick. Uh, I'll be there. We'll be back Monday morning. Everybody have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you later.